This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Meanwhile, I think we have a guest on the line. We do. We're talking about uh, the big, big story of the day. Of course, Nikki Haley throwing her name in. She is the first challenger to President Trump. And talking about that and a whole bunch more is the great constitutional lawyer, the best in the country, Harvard Law School Emeritus, Alan Dershowitz. Professor Dershowitz, it's Rita Cosby joining Cats at Night. How are you? It's great to be on, but I want to tip my hat to you having uh, breakfast with my rabbi, Rabbi Schneier. He's my he's rabbi, my too. Rabbi. I'm on his board for 30 uh, years. Right. Uh, he's a great, great, great man. And he brings to our synagogue some of the leaders of the world. And then you mentioned Yeshiva University. Yeshiva University turned me down for admission when I finished high school. I was the first person in the history of Yeshiva University ever to be denied admission because I was such a bad high school student. And then a few years later, they gave me an honorary doctorate to make up for it. Oh, <laughs> a touche. So payback there. That's great. Uh, Professor yeah. Dershowitz, talk about uh, Nikki Haley. Big news today. Yeah, well, I know Nikki, and um, I, I worked with her a little bit when she was at the U.N., and of course, I, I sat with her for an hour on the stage when she was at the U.N., questioning her at a fundraiser for Magain David Adom, the, the, the Israeli Red Cross. And we spent a lot of time, you know, talking at that point about uh, Trump and her relationship with Trump and whether she would ever run against him. At that point, she was very discreet. Uh, she is, first of all, brilliant. Uh, second of all, she is dynamic and charismatic. And, um, you know, she for, for a woman of her background, to become the first uh, person of color to be a, a governor of South Carolina, where my wife is from, um, she's a remarkable, amazing woman. She'd be a great president of the United States, I think. Does she have a chance? By the way, I went to, I went to University is of South Carolina. Is she a woman of color? Because I sure thought she is. Indian. she's from India. Indian. From yep. India. Right. Does yeah. that make her yeah. a woman of color? Yes. Yeah, it well, does. She describes herself that way. And, you know, she is not a white-skinned American. I mean, so she would uh, describe herself that way. You know, look, race is always a matter of degree, and I hate categorizations based on, on race, but... Uh, we're all American. thinking Elizabeth Warren. I don't Warren. check white, I check yeah. Italian. We're, so. we're thinking Elizabeth <laughs> Warren, you know? <laughs> she was not yeah, Cherokee well, Indian. Liz, Elizabeth Warren is one of the few Democrats I would never vote for for president. So let's be very clear about that. She and Bernie Sanders Who would are you vote for people. first, Santos or Elizabeth Warren? <laughs> Boy, that would be a hard one. <laughs> yeah, would be Look, I had dinner with Santos when he first got elected and his wife and my wife, and he and both of them impressed the hell out of me. They were very smart, very well educated. All they talked about with me was the environment and education. Obviously, he's moved somewhat to the right since then, and I think he will throw his hat in. And it's going to be so interesting because if it's He's talking about DeSantis. You're talking about Ron DeSantis. Oh, oh, oh. I okay, thought yeah. I was saying Santos. Yeah, well, he, he said Santos. Oh, oh, That's oh. why we were yeah, making yeah. faces. We're all Sorry, gas. We're sitting here being gaslighted. You're talking about Ron I'm DeSantis. About my governor, the governor of Florida. Right, DeSantis. 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 Okay. No, Santos did not. Let the record be clear, Alan. He didn't have a wife. Santos did not go to Harvard. And he didn't have a wife. DeSantis did. Santos, no. I think he was president of Harvard for a while. And Yale at the same time. That's right. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. right.
And the quarterback for the NFL, wasn't he? <laughs> By the way, I want to make sure, uh, Professor Dershowitz, we also get to the other big news of the day, uh, that Vice President Pence, the former yeah. Vice President, is going to fight uh, the special yeah. counsel. Um, Judge, yeah. you got some thoughts right. on this. Alan, yeah. apparently uh, there's going to be a motion to quash the uh, a grand jury subpoena, and he's alleging that the basis is not executive privilege, that is Pence, but no, the speech and debate clause. Yeah. What do you think about that, Alan? I think it's very well, clever. Let, let, let's just read what it says. It says that uh, senators and congressmen shall be privileged from arrest during the attendance. He's not being arrested. And then it said, shall not be uh, asked to any question in any other place about any speech or debate in either house. Now, he doesn't fit neatly into either of those categories. He was, of course, um, the president of the Senate, uh, essentially, and therefore played a legislative role. But he's not being questioned about any speech or debate he made. He's being questioned, obviously, about um, information he has regarding the White House. So it'll be it'll be an interesting case. It's a very clever ploy. And um, I suspect in the end there'll be a resolution. I don't think they're going to want the case to go up to the courts on this issue. I suspect there'll be a compromise, as there often is, and that he'll sit down with them and maybe not under oath and maybe who knows. But uh, I don't think we'll see a confrontation. If there is a confrontation, the literal words of the Constitution don't seem to protect him. But uh, maybe the spirit of the Constitution does. Does he have an argument on executive privilege, Alan? I think he has a much better argument on executive privilege, of course. I mean, he was the executive, and uh, uh, he was, if he's asked about conversations with the president, he will have uh, an airtight uh, claim on executive privilege. So why not assert both? Why not assert both? I suspect he will assert both. I can't imagine. And now he can't assert the the executive privilege. Really, the, the president has to assert it for him in some way. So... Uh, maybe because of his tensions with the president, now with President Trump, former President Trump, he doesn't want to put himself subject to the will of Trump. That may be possible. Yeah, and by the way, everybody, I just want to tell everybody it's about January 6th right. uh, because that's the heart oh, yeah. of it all. Exactly, because yeah. that's yeah. the whole case. By the way, I want to get to something, John, that you brought up when we were just talking right before the show started, um, how there are so many of these legal entanglements facing President Trump right now, whether it's the January 6th and Jack Smith with the special counsel, you know, all the different investigations. Do you think any of these are going to drag him down from a legal perspective uh, now that he's got at least one other person challenging him in the nomination, how does that all play out, Professor? Well, it's certainly possible. Um, the the Georgia grand jury, it's a state grand jury, is going to release some information, and he has a little bit of vulnerability there. I think in the end he couldn't possibly be convicted because the conversation he had uh, said, find me, you know, 12,000 votes or whatever it was, find me is ambiguous. It could mean they're there. You just have to look hard, which is perfectly legal. Or some people could interpret it as, you know, create, manufacture. That would be a crime, obviously. But when you have an ambiguous statement like that, that would not be enough. So I don't think he's vulnerable there. I don't know enough about his business dealings in New York. And now there are apparently some renewed, you know, interest in investigation of some of those things. But uh, if I had to bet money on it, I don't think that he would end up being on the wrong end of the criminal prosecution. I suspect that, uh, you know, he's going to he's going to run. If it's a crowded field, he'll win. 
if it's a one-on-one, it's going to be a much, much uh, harder to predict yeah, whether we, we one-on-one just... beats beats any of the other, you know, right. like DeSantis or or Nikki Haley. But if they run together, uh, you know, if there's a field of three or four, he'll win. Well, we were discussing that before we went on air, Alan, and we said, yeah. is this going to be a replay, a deja vu of 16 people on there, the Republican, so it becomes a clown car, a circus, and his base yeah. wins it for him. It's, Just like it 2016. It sounded like Rona McDaniel was expecting that. L- yeah. Last week, Alan, she said to us that she was going to have the two debate stages. Similar to last in 2016. Well, and he's already yeah. throwing uh, shade at Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley came out today and announced that tomorrow's going to be the official, but she already kind of unveiled. And within like <laughs> minutes, President Trump comes out and says she's a career politician. He's already sort of taken the swipe. So, so well, he, he, he it's batter up. It's batter up. Batter up. He made her United Nations ambassador, didn't he? Yeah. yeah, and she did a great job. And I love her statement saying, I don't like bullies, and I attack them. And when you get attacked by somebody with heels, it hurts even more. <laughs> yeah, so, as a woman, uh, I thought that was a good line. I agree, Alan. Yeah, I, I thought that was great. As a man, I thought that was a good line. <laughs> <laughs> I like her very much. I think she would be a great president. I don't like her views on a lot of social issues. But, you know, uh, you can't pick and choose candidates who will satisfy you on everything. Well, Alan Dershowitz, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, thank you for your wisdom, and thank you for, uh, for for giving it to our WABC listeners. I love it. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. We're bringing in right now Melinda Katz, who, of course, is the current district attorney of Queens. And uh, district attorney, I got to ask you, Melinda, big bust today. This was huge news. Uh, 23 alleged gang members, a lot of them tied to one of the biggest gangs ever, the Crips Street Gang. Tell us about it. Yeah, that is true. Today, Mayor Adams and, uh, of course, Commissioner Sewell and myself uh, announced 23 alleged gang members, uh, part of the Crips Street Gang, one based in Astoria Housing, one based in Woodside Housing. It's a culmination of a two-year investigation. And the investigation was really kicked off, if you remember, uh, Rita, and it's good speaking with you again. You too. uh, By the uh, heartbreaking loss of Ms. Valinas. If you remember her a few years ago, she was the uh, mother who was gunned down in Woodside uh, by a gang member who was shooting at a rival. Uh, and, and really, her killing led to the investigation into this culture of violence by the Crips in Astoria and Woodside. It ended up uh, with an 85-count indictment, variously charging 23 defendants with conspiracy to commit murder, attempted murder, reckless endangerment, and criminal possession of a weapon. Um, so, look, it was a good day for safety, a good day for the people of Woodside uh, and Astoria houses. They're really the ones... Uh, they have to live with drivers of crime and those individuals that would really terrorize all day. Let me ask you about how much the open border is affecting, like, the transport of guns, uh, transport of criminals. There's a lot of gotaways uh, right now. What, how much is that contributing to gang violence? Well, I have to tell you, a lot of our guns come in really from the south, right? So you got Georgia, you got North Carolina, you got some of the places where folks are buying guns legally and they're coming up. Um, the East Coast, which we call the Iron Pipeline. Uh, and then they're selling them to our kids here in Queens County. I mean, they're, they're illegal guns. A lot of them now are ghost guns. 
you know, ghost guns are an interesting addition to this country. You can go onto the Internet and you can buy different pieces of different guns from throughout hundreds of vendors on the Internet. We actually formed a crime strategies unit in my office so that we can locate those that are buying these, these pieces of guns from throughout the country. But in order to make it easier, those ghost guns now come in kits and they're untraceable. And you put them together in the basement of your house or in an apartment. Rita, you can put them together after a half-hour video on YouTube, and you have an operable gun. Uh, It's truly remarkable, but we're trying to do all we can with the gun surge. And this is a good step today. You know, we've gotten thank you calls. We've gotten people who have said, you know, you've given us a breath. You take some of the gang members out, uh, those that are driving the crime, driving um, a lot of the hostility in in the housing areas. Uh, And it was a good day. Uh, The mayor was talking today um, about the fact that we're not going to let those that would terrorize and those that would have guns in our streets take us over. We're going to find them. We're going to come after them and we're going to prosecute them. Melinda, will we be able to keep these people in in uh, jail or are they going to be out again? No, I mean, uh, most I think everyone, if not everybody, uh, were remanded. Uh, There is bail. There is remand. Uh, 18 of the shooters, by the way, were first time were shooters. Um, 18 of the people that we indicted were actually shooters. Eight of them were repeat shooters. Um, and they will they will be in jail. They will do time for this. We will prosecute them uh, to the fullest extent of the law. I think you'll find that we are very serious about keeping people safe here in Queens County. Although, you know, and we've guns, we've seen this revolving door, run. though, Melinda. You know, John's point, too, of so many of these people come in, even gangbangers, get right back out. Well, I can't talk for other boroughs and I can't talk for other prosecutions. I can tell you that we hold people accountable here in Queens County and we don't apologize for it. And the truth is that this that's is what we need. We need tough DAs. Thank you, Melinda. Well, yeah, absolutely. We need those that hold people accountable. Accountability can be jail time. Accountability could be that you have PTSD because you fought for this country. But accountability for guns, um, you know, there has to be a zero tolerance for it. You have to know that if you carry a gun or you carry a weapon uh, in the city of New York, that you're going to uh, pay a price for that and you will be held accountable for that. And the stories here are heart wrenching. You know, shooting a gun over a little girl's head. Uh, in one of these counts where the little girl is just holding her ears. She's standing next to an ice cream truck. And then the next day there's retaliation where an innocent bystander is hit. We have so many stories of those natures, but it takes of that nature, but it takes investigation. It takes partnership with the NYPD. It takes actually forming the bureau that I formed, which is the Violent Criminal Enterprise Bureau. Their main job, their only job really, is to get the guns, gangs, and drugs and make sure we find them and take them off the street. Melinda, it's, it's to- a joint effort. So it's Tony Carbonetti. How are you? Sure. Good. How are you, Tony? Good. So a, a couple months ago, Mayor Adams had a press conference about 2,200 gun arrests that because of bail reform and, you know, the D, I think really the DA we have here in Manhattan, uh, when, when you have your DA lunches, you really should tell this guy he, he needs to prosecute some of these people like you know, the 1,700 of them were pled down to misdemeanors. Is that because of the bail reform and discovery laws that need to be now changed? Well, actually, bail reform refers to how you can hold someone before they're actually tried. What the actual disposition of the case, I can't talk to the actual facts of those cases. I can only talk about the ones that we have here in Queens and the ones that we indict for and the ones that we prosecute for. But I would say that the securing orders for guns 
a judge is allowed to give bail for those uh, prosecutions for gun possessions. Uh, normally, we ask for some securing order. I think it's important for people to know that if folks are getting caught with weapons, um, that they are going to have a fair, um, a fair hearing in court, which allows us to keep people in when we think that that is appropriate. Well, Linda, it's Richard. It's Richard Weinberg. If I could, Hello, Judge. How are you? I, if I, I could make a, some suggestions, it seems to me if we're going to make changes and give you the weapons you need to be an effective and a more effective district attorney and your colleagues, you need to do the following. You need to raise the the raise your age law has to be changed. Bring it back down. You have to have recidivism, particularly uh, recidivism with respect to gang crimes. You have to have more controls over the discovery process. And you have to give judges discretion on uh, on dangerousness. What do you say about that? So we've, I've been an advocate for adding community safety dangerous to one of the criteria and one of the standards that the judges could use uh, when figuring out the securing order. I do think it's important to take community safety into account. So we've already talked quite a bit about that. As far as, you know, making sure that people are arrested, you know, they just made a few changes on the bail laws when it comes to DATs, but those really wouldn't be gun crimes. Gun crimes are qualifying offenses. Normally, a district attorney would ask for some securing order before the trial. Normally, we get some as well. For recidivists, obviously, as you know, if they're, uh, you know, predicate felons and predicate, uh, especially in the gun charges, we are able to up the sentence if they are convicted again. And we use all of those tools that are available. And I think one of the things the mayor made clear today is, yes, we've advocated for changes in the bail law. We've advocated for, especially for changes in discovery. I have to tell you, discovery is um, one of the most critical issues that I believe needs to be changed, um, as well as, as some of the bail laws. But we can, you know, under the laws that we have on the books today, we were able to do an 85-count indictment against 23 defendants, 22 of which were picked up for conspiracy to commit murder. And the jail time for all of those is up to 25 years for that conspiracy. So we do, we do what we do under the laws we're given, with the NYPD doing exactly what they do, which is protecting our streets. And we appreciate the cooperation and the partnership. Well, so thank you, Melinda Katz, for coming on. You're one tough DA. Bravo. And, uh, uh, bravo, and uh, we'll catch up with you again real soon. Thanks. Good speaking with all of you again. Thank, Thank you. you. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority PriorityGoldGuide.com. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Joining us to talk about all the spy balloons and what else is out there is Ambassador John Bolton. He's the author of The Room Where It Happened. It's a White House memoir. He also, of course, served as President Trump's National Security Advisor. Ambassador Bolton, great to have you here on the show with all of us. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. What do you make of all these Chinese spy balloons? And by the way, the new news we were just talking about with John 
is that the U.S. just came out a couple hours ago and they believe the three others, not the Chinese spy balloon, but the three others, they don't think it's Chinese. They don't think it's U.S. government. They might have just shot down some of the balloons that John saw when he was flying over Atlantic City years ago. Right. Well, they could be uh, Russian. They could be North Korean. We we don't know. I mean, p- part of the problem, even in dealing with this subject, which I think the Biden administration has handled very, very poorly to our detriment to, to this, our loss of reputation around the world. But part of the problem is they keep giving out mixed and contradictory stories. They they are obviously selectively giving us some of the information they know and uh, probably information that's favorable to them withholding other information. So very hard to know what to do here. And one thing I can say is that uh, uh, eight or 10 days ago, they said they would brief uh, at least some former Trump administration officials since they accused the Trump administration missing earlier overflights by these balloons. And uh, I guess I guess I'm the lucky guy. I think I'm the first one to have a briefing tomorrow afternoon. Not sure they'll let me say anything when they're finished with it. But uh, uh, certainly, I have uh, lots of questions to ask them. I'm glad you're going to be in the room. That's great. That is great. We feel a lot more comfortable about that than listening to what we've been hearing the last few days. Well, it really is a, a sad commentary after listening for for days about why we had to let the Chinese balloon transit the entire United States because, heaven forbid, how dangerous it was to shoot it down and so on and so forth. Uh, within three days, they shoot down three other balloons. And uh you know, I think it's very hard to make the case that they got the first one right. And many, many things wrong with what they did, not least of which was by by their record, by the administration's record, the first sighting of the balloon was over the Aleutian Islands on Saturday, January the 28th. They didn't tell President Biden until Tuesday the 31st. I have to say I'm completely amazed by that. Uh, so that's another series of questions I'll have tomorrow. Well, J- John, it's Tony Carbonetti. Can you clear up hey, the allegations early on that this had happened a number of times during the Trump administration and no one was told? Is th- What's the truth there? Yeah, I, you know, I, what I can say is for myself is I never heard anything like this in my 17 months there. And I've seen lots of other senior officials, Mark Esper, former Secretary of Defense, Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State, former head of CIA, all of us have said precisely the same thing. We've never heard of anything like this. Now, uh, here's a perfect example of where the Biden administration has said multiple things over the past couple Mm -hmm. of weeks. First, they said three earlier overflights were detected during the Trump administration. Then they said, well, they weren't detected, but we knew they happened by looking back in our records. Then they said later, well, they were detected, but they were assessed to be weather disturbances and not balloons. And then finally yesterday, uh, the the NSC spokesman went at it again and said, well, they didn't detect them in the Trump administration, but we detected it and we took action. I mean, they're cheap political shots, but it, it emphasizes how incomplete and contradictory the Biden administration storyline has been. You know, I was going to ask you about that because I was watching the Kirby briefing and Kirby like literally took a swipe at the Trump administration and they actually made it sound like, uh, well, Joe Biden is the the guy on national security and almost mocking the Trump administration. I mean, it really was the same a system. Shot. Yeah, the system hasn't changed. It's not a new system. But it was like Biden reinvented national security. Whatever they're paying Admiral Kirby, it's not enough. Yeah, exactly. What was your reaction, Ambassador? 
No, well, that's, I think that's right. Look, it's possible that the radar wasn't set to detect, as it might have, slow-moving objects. They were, it was set to detect jet aircraft, missiles, that kind of thing. Uh, we've seen how that happened, <clears throat> by the way, in the Turkish drones that were sold to the Ukraine to use against the Russians. The Russians initially couldn't pick them up because they were so slow. So you can imagine that you would have to make technical adjustments, upgrades to your equipment. That That's fine. I've got no problem with that. We should do that. Uh, so we've learned a little lesson here. It's possible people make misassessments. That's possible. Lessons learned there, too. And I think that really leaving everything else aside, I hope this whole affair has helped wake the American people up to the threat China poses. We don't know where all these balloons came from, but we know where the first one came from. And and it's the kind of thing, it may not be a Sputnik moment as such, but it says to people, the Chinese are definitely up to something. And a lot of the naive K American business in in particular has shown over the years about investments in China, dealing with China. I, I hope, I hope, as I say, this is a wake-up call. Ambassador, last question before we go to a break. Uh, these 51 intelligence people that signed off that it was Russian... Uh, disinformation. Disinformation. Yep. All of a sudden, who is it? Clancy and who a else? Clapper, Clapper. A Clapper. Clapper, the head of DNI, comes out and says, like, uh, that's a great point, John. Like, Politico, they misquoted me two years no, later. They signed a letter that said it has all the earmarks of Russian disinformation. They wanted people to believe it was Russian. Right, they wanted people to believe it was Russian disinformation. And well, now, they but now he's saying, yeah, now he's saying, I didn't really say that. Like, the media misinterpreted. What? what yeah, what yeah. do you make of that? No, I think that was a, a clear example of flat politicization of the intelligence community. And one of the things I want to find out tomorrow, to the extent I can, is whether that's at work here, too. Did all these orders come from the White House? Uh, did this Was this, in other words, was this a bottom-up problem, or did the problem come top-down? Because, heaven forbid, uh, you, we can't offend the Chinese. It would interfere with our climate change negotiation. Well, and you know what? Our president is on the phone with Xi Jinping and doesn't ask him about the Wuhan lab, doesn't ask him about, you know, uh, threats. Uh, it's like, hello, uh, what flavor ice cream do you want? It's so insulting to the American people, Ambassador. Well, well, it is. And I can tell you, I do a lot of interviews on foreign media, radio and TV. And in the past couple of weeks, uh, one question, no matter what subject I came on to talk about, the question was, why are you letting this balloon fly across the United States? And there wasn't a very good answer, obviously, because they shouldn't have let it fly across the United States. They should have shot it down at the beginning. Is it stupidity, uh, Ambassador, or is it, or is it uh, lack of leadership? You tell. Last I question. think it's both. I think it's both. I think uh, they don't know what they're doing, and I think the constantly changing, contradictory story they're putting out helps prove that. Well, thank you, Ambassador Bolton, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. Yeah, good luck tomorrow. Sounds good. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And now we understand we have uh, Lou Dobbs yeah, uh, we, live. We sure do. Uh, the great political and financial commentator, author, of course, best-selling author, TV host. And uh, Lou, great and, to have and, you here. And the CPI came out this morning. And, and let's see what the implications are. What the heck is going on with our economy? Are we going to go back into the crapper? Well, I don't. Uh, I don't think so, John. Uh, in point of fact, I think that this is a, a relatively benign report 
on inflation. It's still high, no question about it, but it is not accelerating. And the reality is that this still gives Jerome Powell uh, a standard by which to maintain a relatively modest 25 basis point uh, increase in interest rates if he so decides, if the board decides, uh, the Open Market Committee, in the next uh, month or so. But uh, the reality is the economy is so uh, has so many crosswinds and currents that it's very difficult to say what so many uh, want to, which is it's we're definitely headed to recession, or we're definitely recovering. Uh, there's a little bit of everything for everyone in this economy right now, and the important thing is for this Fed to get these rates out of their system and get uh, at least give uh, major industries a chance to stabilize and get back to growth. How come we haven't heard anything from the president? Um, I mean, we did on State of the Union where he spent 90 percent on economy and like one minute on China and one minute on border. Um, how do you think he's going to tell this today, Lou? I I don't think that this president has any idea in the world of what's happening. Uh, he talked about, uh, as you will recall vividly, in the midst of 8% inflation, he denied there was inflation at 7% inflation. She, how'd you, yeah, how'd you uh, like that math? <laughs> I, I love the math, and I love the perspective. Uh, when you, you as, the, as the leader of the country, are, you're not speaking to these balloons, to the Chinese aggression, to incursions. You're not acknowledging that the military establishment has first a problem, and that is that they did not detect apparently a large number of balloons. We don't know how many. And that there are so many voices speaking without full knowledge or candor in Washington that we have a government that is generating what amounts to a disinformation machine run against the American people. This nonsense has to stop. He still hasn't, as you all know, spoken to the issue. On any level, whether it's the economy, uh, he hasn't spoken honestly and straightforwardly. And, uh, and it's just very frustrating to think that we have people taking this administration seriously when it is nothing more than a political apparatus uh, that happens to be housed in the White House. Uh, can I change the subject a little bit? I, I've seen reports now, and I'm very troubled by this, and, and you're a great commentator. There's a lot of sabotage going on in this country. There's a train sabotage, there's energy sabotage, yes, there's food, there's water. The combination of that group, all essential to this country surviving. And where do you see the investigations? Where do you see the efforts to uncover this? Because I don't see it. They talk, about, uh, yeah. they talk about how many construction workers are white, and that's your transportation secretary. What about the trains? What about the water? What about the energy? What about the food? Why doesn't somebody pay attention to that, Lou? Uh, because they are so involved in the politics and their ideological goals, which are this is a Marxist dim led Democrat party. Uh, the federal government at its best is not acute uh, in uh, intelligent uh, and uh, inquisitive uh, efforts uh, to, for the protection of the American people. But at the very least, it should be investigating, as you say, all of these fires and food supply vendors and uh, plants all across the country. Uh, we had three, three separate derailments. And John, I, I applaud you for noticing because uh, if you look at the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, they didn't pick up on the story at all. Uh, and it's important 
I think it's critically important. We're talking about the health and lives of millions of Americans at risk here. And this government is sends out a peace. And we're allowing these people to come over the border. And I understand there's more and more Chinese coming over the border that who knows? It's easier to get. I mean, they can't come on on airplanes. Yeah, so they're coming in the border. You know what they were? I was they, reading. They take an airplane to Mexico and walk over. Right. You know what it was? Eight hundred percent increase in Chinese nationals crossing our border. Wow. I mean, Absolutely. give me a break. I mean, this is crazy. And that doesn't include two million so-called getaways over the past eighteen months. And who are they? Uh, and who we, are they? We have no idea. And we have no idea where they are. Yeah. How no they're idea. being cared for or why. We're sending them to Canada. That's why there's derailments in Canada. Lou, Lou Dobbs, <laughs> thank you so much, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And joining us now is the great staff columnist at the New York Post, also Fox News contributor, who broke the huge Hunter Biden story and so much more, uh, Miranda Devine. Miranda, great to have you here. And also Judge Richard Weinberg and Tony Carbonetti also still with us in studio. Hi, Lydia. Hi, John. Hi, Richard. Hi, everyone. Where are you going? Where is your husband taking you for Valentine's Day? (laughs) (laughs) We were actually just discussing that and decided that we would um, actually eat at home tonight rather than brave the wilds of the dating couple. <laughs> wow. Very nice. And, and this is Rita Cosby. Uh, Miranda, listen, you, big news about Nikki Haley. you got a lot of stuff you want to talk about, the, the heated races that going to heat up now. Yes, look, uh, I mean, Nikki Haley is the number two official uh, person out of the blocks for the 2024 race. And you have to say, that the Republicans are in great shape. Uh, they have a stable of really successful and competent and um, charismatic uh, people who are willing to put their name in the hat and, and uh, hope that the, the Republican voters in the primaries will choose them. And uh, I, I think, you know, we hear from the left-wing media all the time what a disaster, what a schmozzle um, this is all going to be and nobody can can uh, escape Donald Trump's wrath. I, I think that it's a healthy thing and I don't think, you know, I don't think even Donald Trump expects that he's just going to be gifted the nomination on a silver platter. Um, it's good for everyone, healthy competition, and, and I think it's something that um, the former president has thrived on, and uh, a lot of his challenges also thrive on it. Uh, Ron DeSantis, chief among them, and I saw Ron DeSantis speaking on the weekend in Miami, and I have to say he was formidable, and he has an enormous um, achievement list that he can point to uh, to show that he has skill in uh, executive government and he can actually make a difference. And he he, had a, he has a hilarious uh, sort of Churchillian reference. Uh, he says, you know, we will fight the woke on the beaches. And uh, he, he and he's done it and he's he's won. Every time he's gone to battle against the woke establishment, he's had a victory. So I think it's all very exciting. Miranda, it's Tony Carbonetti. Um, I, I hate to disagree with you. I agree that we have a talented bench and a bunch of people that want to, but I definitely think that former President Trump believes he's entitled to the nomination, that there shouldn't be anyone running against him. Um, it, it, it's almost, I'm hearkening back to that scene 
in Animal House when they're, they're all pledging the, the fraternity and John Belushi standing there with the pins and he's giving them a name. Like, I think every time someone enters the race, he's going to say, your new name is X. Oh, yeah. You know, Ron DeSacrimonious or Meatball right. or whatever he's going to, you know, it, it's, he, he's the pledge master. Yeah, well, exactly. And he turns it into a sport. Everything he yes. does is like uh, WWE. You know, he's he's the... The, treating everyone like a heel and kicking them in the nuts, and you know, everyone's going to get their hilarious. little pledge name and and, and now stand yeah. on the stage next to me while I knock you around a little. Just like Jeb Bush, yeah. poor Jeb, never right. didn't see it coming. Wow. Low energy Jeb. I mean, that was absolutely inspired. I think he's got to work on his Ron DeSantis nicknames though, because Ron DeSanctimonious doesn't he's work. He's up to meatball about... now. He, he yeah, now it's meatball. This is a guy who's Harvard, Yale, you know, he was uh, a jag in Iraq. It's very hard to call him a meatball. I don't think uh, that works either. So he's going to have to go back to the well, drawing board. Miranda, it's, it's Richard Weinberg. What I'm troubled by is the fact that I don't want to see 16 of those people up there and Trump has his base and he gets the nomination because all the anti-Trump types divide their support. That's very troubling to me. Yeah, and I think uh, I think you're right, and I think this is what um, Donald Trump is salivating over and hoping for. I know for sure that he is hoping for as large as mm-hmm. possible uh, a field to compete against for that exact reason. Um, so I guess it will depend. Uh, you know, I mean, I think some of these people are going in not because they think they have a chance to become president, but because they are uh, hoping to be chosen as a vice president, you know, to get sort of bought off, um, in other words, uh, to drop out of the race at some point. So whoever gets um, a nice nickname is in the running for the vice president. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although that doesn't seem to matter to Trump. What about how nasty no. it's going to get, Miranda? Because we're, t- you know, aside from the meathead or meatball, that was Rob Reiner, right? Meathead. Yeah, um, me- meathead, <laughs> but meatball. Um, aside from all of that, um, he already said about Ron DeSantis, we know secrets that only his wife knows. I mean, this is going to get ugly, Miranda. Yes, but again, it's sort of theatrical. I don't think Ron DeSantis is at all worried. And, you know, it, as we see from all the people that, Ronald, that Donald Trump has um, insulted through the ages, they all come around in the end <laughs> because it's, it's sport. It's the way he plays the game. And I tell you, I would much rather be a Republican voter with that you know, cornucopia and choices than to be a Democrat because... Uh, they have nobody. They, they have nobody. They have they nobody. Have, the Democrats have, have nobody. So it's it's going to be if it's Harris against Hillary in a debate, then uh, yeah. Harris gets wiped out. Yeah, cackles. You mean yes. she'll be cackling the whole way? Miranda, thank you. Thank you, Miranda. Happy <laughs> Valentine's thank Day. You. Yeah, have and fun. What do we stand for? Truth, Truth justice, justice, and, and the American way. way. God bless America. Happy Valentine's Day. Have a great dinner tonight. Great being with all of you. Happy Valentine's Day. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.